Today's scripture reading comes from John 4, verses 7 through 14. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water in I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord for us. We live in a consumeristic society. That is to say, much of our uh, mental energy and physical resources are spent on the things I need and want. The, the things that will be helpful to me, the, those, those things that we want in our lives. And so we live in a consumeristic society. You can see it everywhere uh, you look. You can see it in your own life. I can see it in my life. The angle is always this. What's this going to do for me? See, I, I want that in my life because I see a way that it's going to benefit me. Um, shoes. <laughs> Are these shoes going to be stylish? But sometimes you get a pair of shoes that's really stylish, but they're not very comfortable. So then you're on the search for, you want shoes that are both stylish and comfortable. And you, and you pursue getting those. And then when you have one pair, it's like, well, then that only goes with certain outfits. <laughs> you need a few more. <laughs> Our phones. What features does this phone have? Does it, does it have the features that I want, that I need, that will serve me? Uh, if I pay for this phone and for its services, will I get what I want? So this, is, this tends to be our mindset. It's a consumeristic mindset. And we can even bring this mindset to our faith. We can bring this to our faith. We look to a local church, for example. That local church should feed me spiritually. That local church should provide a community for me where I can, I can show up and have friends in my life and people who will encourage me in my faith. That, that local church should have the good music that I want and the preaching that I want and the activities for my family that I want. Now listen, as part of the local church, I want to say, and, and as a church leader, we love coming alongside you. We love coming alongside people. We, we want to see you growing in your faith. We love dreaming up programming and activities and ways we can do discipleship. Of course, yes, the church is for, brothers and sisters in Christ, is for you on the ups and downs of life, journeying together. However, Jesus doesn't call us to be spiritual consumers, like, like the way we so often operate. Jesus doesn't call us to simply be, what's in it for me, what can I get out? He calls us to be spiritual contributors, to actually participate with him in his mission in the world. So in Matthew chapter 4, and this is not where we're preaching today, we'll actually be in John chapter 4, but in Matthew chapter 4, we have these stories of Jesus calling his first disciples. It's this great and classic scene. We've taught it in Sunday school, and it's, it's these powerful words spoken from Jesus to these fishermen where he's like, come and follow me. But I want to begin with what he didn't say to those disciples that he called. 
what he didn't say. He didn't say, come and follow me and I'll make you a better husband. He didn't say that. He didn't say, come and follow me and I'll make you an awesome dad. Come and follow me and I'll make you just a great steward of all of your finances. He didn't say those things. What did he say? Matthew 4 verse 19. Come follow me and I'll make you, I'll send you out to fish for people. That's the NIV. You may be familiar with versions that say a fisher of men, right? That's how many of us memorize that or recall that from, from those younger ages, a fisher of men. Now, isn't that interesting? That's what Jesus calls when he calls us to follow him. It's not all of those things that are going to... Now, when you're a follower of Jesus, do you become a better husband and dad and parent and spouse? and stu- Yes, you do. Yes, the abundant life with Jesus is the richest life and the best life. And he transforms you. However, it's a mindset that's consumeristic if we say, I want to follow Jesus because he makes me a better this or that. When we look at the scriptures, we see the truth here that Jesus says, I'm going to send you out to fish for people. So this can be disorienting to us. Like if we, if we tend to view our faith as something that's kind of more consumeristic, if we tend to view uh, walking with Jesus and being a Christian as something that sort of uh, that improves our lives, then this can be disorienting. Because what Jesus is saying is, if you are part of my tribe, in that come and follow me, if you want to join in, if you want to be a part of what's happening, if you're going to be one of my people, then I've got a role for you. Then I've got a plan for you that you are unique and special and I have a unique and special purpose for your life and a role within a much bigger, larger story. So church, catch this. The mission is fishing. (laughs) Like Jesus makes this really clear. Come and follow me and I'm going to send you out to fish for people. The mission is fishing. But in our human nature, we're selfish. We're consumeristic. What's in it for me? What good does this do me? And Jesus sort of flips that upside down. He says he's got a higher calling for us. And it goes beyond just thinking about ourselves and our wants. That our lives then begin to be lived for him. For his glory. For his purposes. So following Jesus is not consumeristic. Woe to us if we viewed it that way. The church does not exist for us, my friend. We are the church. And we exist for the world. And that's just what I want to talk about today. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I'm thrilled that you are with us today. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. We're starting a brand new sermon series. It's called Love Where You Live. So let me begin with a question as we think about the places we live. Why do you live where you live? If you go to our Sunday school hour, I think we're going to share those there. But just consider that. Uh, For our online audience, maybe leave a comment on the platform that you're on. Or if you're at home watching, you can send me a text with your response. Why do you live where you live? So if you're in-house, I'm not asking you to verbally respond. We don't have time for that. But consider that. Why do you live where you live? 
For Rachel and I, we live in the house that we are in because uh, we wanted space for our growing family. <laughs> I think it was probably after uh, baby number seven was born that we kind of looked at each other and went, you know, it'd be really nice to have a house with more than one bathroom. <laughs> that'd, be real, that'd be really special if we could. So when, when we were looking for a house, we wanted a house with uh, several bedrooms, lots of bedrooms for our family and multiple bathrooms for our family. Of course, we, have, we had other things that were on our wish list for a house as well. Uh, one was proximity to our building here at MCA. Wanted to be close enough to uh, be a part of the community, be a part of the activities, be a part of what's happening here. So we wanted to be close enough to MCA, uh, enough bedrooms and, and bathrooms. We wanted a place with some outdoor uh, space for recreation and for outdoor activities, you know, a yard to play in. Uh, we wanted... Room for a big dining room table where we could all gather and share meals together. And so you probably had things on your list as well, or have things on your list when you think about where you want to live. Maybe for you it was the finished basement, or the attached garage, or you wanted to be in a certain neighborhood, or in a certain school district. That's a big one as well. Like we, we really want to be within the borders of this school district. Or you wanted to be close to shopping or restaurants or those kinds of amenities or, or your work. We need, to, we need to choose a place based on where our work is. Or you've got a certain amount of money and you go, we just want the biggest bang for our buck. In other words, we want the most house for the amount of money that we're going to put into this. Or you love the view. You know, some, some, sometimes you just go, I got to have this. This is amazing. Or, uh, you know, right here in this community, the walk-in pantry. <laughs> you go, that's the walk-in pantry for me. So I don't know what it is that, that was on your wish list, but we view these things. And, and when I uh, talk about choosing where we live, one thing I want to note is it's all consumeristic. It's, it's all, what's best for me? What do I want? What's on my wish list? And I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers or saying that's wrong. Of course, that's how, when you're choosing a place to live, of course, you're considering what's going to be best for your family. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we respond to that as a consumer. But there's a problem when we bring that same consumeristic mindset to the church. There's a problem when we walk into uh, discussions of faith and spirituality, and it's all that same way of, I want what I want, and, and I see how it's going to serve me. It's just too easy for us to bring that mindset right into the church. What do we call it when we're looking for a church to call home? We call it church shopping. When we're looking for a church, we're doing some church shopping. You know, What's next? We're probably going to make a TV show out of it.
please don't be offended because I, I realize that um, we, we, do, we are not going to retain every single person that's part of MCA. There are times where the Lord is going to call you to, to be a part of a different church family, and that's okay. So please don't be offended by that. Um, what I'm trying to encourage us with this morning is a mindset shift from a consumer, which we saw in a very graphic, comedic way, <laughs> to being a contributor. So when I say that, let me, let me explain a little more in, in a little more detail uh, what I mean by that. When it comes to the church, this kind of shift. The consumer is just simply here to be served. The contributor says, I am here to serve. That's a big difference, isn't it? That, that's a monumental difference. And so I want to challenge each and every one of us with that. Are we willing to make that shift? Instead of saying, I'm here to be served, would we say, I am here to serve? The consumer is focused on my preferences. You know, this is the way I like it to be done. This is what I like to see. This is what I like to hear. The contributor is focused on the needs of others. What's our mission and how are we going to accomplish that? That's what I'm focused on. Not my preferences. If we get hung up on our preferences, we're just going to be a church that gets old and dies off and shuts our doors. I want you to hear that. We're going to get old and die off and shut our doors. If we're focused on, my, on our preferences. Versus saying we are a church committed to growing younger each and every year. And so what that means is, the younger generations need to have voice, need to have input. And there are times where that's uncomfortable and that's not what we're accustomed to. But we're a church committed to that. So that's the contributor mindset. I'm focused on the needs of others. The consumer says, what can I gain? The contributor says, what can I give? The consumer is entitled. The contributor is grateful. Grateful to the Lord and grateful for brothers and sisters who are willing to speak into our lives and do ministry and life together. I would say this too, the consumer has trouble finding a church family. You have, you have trouble finding that, that perfect church because the perfect church doesn't exist. And you get nitpicky about all the little tiny details, right? Again, you want your preference, you want your way. You have trouble finding a church family. What does the contributor do? Not only does the contributor find a church family, plug in and serve, but the contributor then invites others into that same community. Hey, you look like you, you need a spiritual home. You want to come join us? Hey, you look like you need encouragement. I have a group of people who are equipped to do just that. The contributor joins a church family, plugs in, serves, and even invites others into it. And so the challenge this morning is very simple. It's to make a shift from being consumers, spiritually speaking, to being contributors. What if, my friends, what if we began to see our community and our region as our mission field? Like right here, this is where God has placed us. This is where God wants us to have an impact. And so I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to use all the resources at my disposal, the influence that I have. To reach people with the truth of Jesus. The way we word it here is to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. So what if we would begin to see our region and community as our mission field? Let's go to John chapter 20. 
in verse 21. We're going to see again. We heard from Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calling the first disciples saying, Come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. He says it again in John chapter 20 and verse 21 where he says, As the Father has sent me, Jesus, coming in the flesh, born of a virgin, sinless life, sent to humanity to be the redeemer and the rescuer who came into our world, into our mess. says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But it's scary. Yes. But it's dirty. Yes. But it's messy. Yes. But they don't look like me or sound like me. Yes. He is sending us. And so we have this mentality of being sent. Now, for most of us, this doesn't mean that we all of a sudden perk up our ears and go, oh, God said I'm supposed to go to South America. God sent me to Africa. If God does that, great. We, we want to support you and bless you in that. But what I'm suggesting is that you're already sent. That God sent you to that school. That God put you in that neighborhood. That he put you in that workplace. That you are a people that are already sent. So as we talk about over these next several weeks, I love where I live. It can mean two different things. Two, two, uh, two things that are both true. So on one hand, we can say, I love where I live. Meaning, uh, the views are breathtaking. The people here are fantastic. The amenities in this community, the school systems, the parks, whatever it is. Like, we can say, I love where I live. And that's all more of the consumeristic side, isn't it? But, oh, that we would be able to say, I love where I live. Meaning, I am sent by God into my neighborhood, into my workplace, into this region. He has placed me here for his purposes. And so I love where I live. I love the people that are there. Oh, they're not perfect. Oh, many of them still need Jesus. They have a lot of it. They need, they need encouragement. They need love. They need grace. They need discipled. But I love where I live. Jesus calls us to a very countercultural way of living. And it's a way in which we use our time and our talent and our treasure for his kingdom purposes to contribute to the lives of others and make an impact and to carry out the mission of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. This is an absurd statement that Jesus is making here. He's going like, you see the city that's on the hill. It cannot be hidden. There's no way to conceal it. He's saying to us, church, I've put you there. Don't hide from it. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a mission for you. I've sent you there. Don't pretend that you, you chose it for your purposes. So again, for, for some of us, we reflect on why we've chosen where we're at. And we go, I think I chose just based on what I wanted. Or did God put you there? Did God take whatever, whatever was going through your mind and heart at that time and use it for his glory and for his purposes? Jesus says this, your light of the world, city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. How silly. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that may, they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Live life in a way that others see. 
And not just say, oh, that must be a follower of Jesus. That must be a Christian. But then they also praise this great God who deserves the glory. I think for far too long we've just viewed the local church as this sort of like uh, organization, religious organization that creates spiritual content and programs and activities for my family to consume. But I'll say it again. The church does not exist for us. We are the church. And we exist for the world. Theologian Dallas Willard says this. Consumer Christianity is now normative. The consumer Christian is the one who utilizes the grace of God for forgiveness and the services of the church for special occasions, but does not give his or her life and innermost thoughts, feelings, and intentions over to the kingdom of the heavens. Such Christians are not inwardly transformed and are not committed to it. He says that's normative. The consumer Christian. Normative. But here's my hope. That for each and every one of us, we will discover a better way. The way of Jesus. So I hope you brought your Bibles with you. Let's turn to John chapter 4. Famous scene where Jesus encounters a woman at the well has a conversation with this Samaritan woman and he tells her of living water that satisfies forever. Ryan read these verses for us a few moments ago. I hope you were paying attention. By the end of the conversation, he goes from being a stranger to being her savior. She encountered Christ. She was changed by him. But I actually want to point out a part of this story that I think is often overlooked. (laughs) While Jesus is talking to the woman... He's doing these amazing things, these eternity-altering things. What are the disciples doing? Did you catch that in one of the earlier verses that Ryan read? What were the disciples doing? Somebody help me. Yes, Jake got it right. Oh, they went to town to buy food. <laughs> like, like Jesus is doing the ministry, and the disciples are like, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> hey, uh, anyone bring a snack? Well, I'm not doing anything. Why don't we go in town and see what they got there? Let, let's, go, let's go get some food. So they come back. And, of course, they're surprised to see Jesus talking with this woman because that's not who they expected him to be doing ministry to. But uh, the woman then leaves. She goes to, in fact, she goes to tell her friends about Jesus. She goes to tell the village all about Jesus. And so the disciples kind of seize the opportunity. Ah, oh, Jesus is probably hungry. Let's give him some food as well. They, they try to get him deep. So John chapter 4, we're going to go to verse 31. And, and I want to point out here, before we read these verses, that Jesus sort of takes this opportunity to teach them how to shift their mindset, right? He wants to teach them, you can fill up more than just your bellies. So we're in John chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. They said, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat. That you know nothing about. They're like, what? He had a satchel with like some snacks in it. Did he bring along some figs? Did he get a Big Mac somewhere? Like he got a secret cookie stash that we knew nothing about. Like they're wondering like, where did he get this food? Verse 33, his disciples say to each other, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus replies then, verse 34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is the thing that keeps Jesus going. 
Not the fig bars, not the snacks. It's doing God's will. Again, this is totally counterintuitive to the way we normally think. What do you think about when you wake up first in the morning? Coffee. (laughs) Right? Like for, for many of us. I know we're not all coffee drinkers, but you... Right? How many of us, we prep the coffee maker the night before, and you almost can't wait until morning? <laughs> you wake up, and the first thing you go, I need my coffee. I can't wait to get going. Or breakfast, or you know, your yogurt, or whatever it is. Like The first thing that usually comes through our minds in the morning is, fill me, fill me, fill me. I need my coffee. I need my breakfast, right? Jesus has a totally different mindset here. It's not fill me, fill me, fill me. It's what fills me is actually to fulfill the work of God. It's to bless and serve others. It's to see that others are getting filled. He has a contributor mindset. (laughs) When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, I want to be clear on this. When we allow him to transform us, we we become the same way. No longer about what's in it for me, how am I going to benefit from this, but instead, I want to serve God. I want to do his will. And he has put these people right in front of me. My family, my friends, my co-workers, my schoolmates, my classmates, my teammates. To serve them and bless them. With this living water, Jesus says, take one sip, you'll never need any more. It's a different mindset. Jesus helps us to take on that same mindset when we follow him. A great example comes from this same passage. We're in John chapter 4, and it's the Samaritan woman. Here she is, a brand new Christ follower. She's just encountered Jesus. She's just been like, okay, yeah, I think I want to follow this guy. I think he's the Messiah. I think I need a savior. The kind of person that we would look at and go, I think she needs some mentoring. I think she needs some discipleship. Why don't we have a good class for her to take, to grow in her knowledge, to, to kind of prove herself? And yes, she she would benefit from those things, but she immediately begins to live a sent life. Sent. Jesus says in John 20, 21, we looked at this a moment ago, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. John chapter 4, verse 28. Leaving her jar of water, right? that's the task she's doing. That's the important thing at hand. She leaves it. The woman went back to town and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. This woman is a great example of being transformed by Christ and then living on mission for him. She leaves the water jar behind. I'll go for it later. I'll figure that out. There's something more pressing. There's something more urgent. She does what some followers of Jesus have been afraid to do for decades. She invited others to encounter Christ. She did what makes some of us squirm. Evangelism? Talking about Jesus? Inviting someone to church, inviting someone into a relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus. She did this immediately. She didn't feel the pressure of having to convince them. As a female in her society, her opinion and witness would not have really counted for much. 
Plus, we know something of her lifestyle and her reputation. So what she said would not have really carried a whole lot of weight. So she didn't bother with the the, the agony of, they're never going to believe me. How am I going to convince them of this? I don't know if I'm really equipped or articulate or intelligent enough to explain this all. She didn't say, well, you know, I need to go to seminary first. and I need to attend these classes and trainings first. And then I'll go to the village. No. (laughs) She didn't allow her fear to stop her. She didn't allow her task at hand of filling the water jars to stop her. She walked away from it and she just said, I'm going to invite these people to come see Jesus. He was a stranger and now he's my savior. And look what happened. Jump down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. That is Jesus. Because of the woman's testimony. She simply invited them. Come and see with this intriguing question of, of, could this be the Messiah? She didn't say, I have seven points for you on why I believe this is the Messiah. She didn't say, if you don't believe that this is the Messiah, we can't be friends anymore. She said, come and see, could he be the Messiah? Jesus was sent. Praise God that he was sent. Because we are desperate and hopeless without him as Savior. This Samaritan woman was sent. She went into this village of people and and shared the good news of Jesus, who many of which then came and encountered him and got saved. And I guess what I'm suggesting this morning is that if we want to make this shift from being consumers to being contributors, then we must also recognize that we are sent. Oh God, send me. Here am I. There was a fascinating study that was done by Georgetown University, a woman named Abigail Marsh. Um, she wanted to explore the question of what drives us to help other people. And so she did this fascinating research on kidney donors. And these weren't just any kidney donors. These were kidney donors who volunteered to help save the life of a complete stranger. So that, that was her group to study. There were, in fact, there were thousands of people who fell into that category right here in the U.S. So she studied and researched the lives of thousands of these sort of altruistic, caring, compassionate people. They, they had no reason to do it, but they offered to donate a kidney in order to save the life of a complete stranger. She found three common traits among them. I want to share those with us this morning. Here's what's really cool is she was really just kind of uncovering and affirming what God's word says. You know, I love that when, when you do some scientific work and you go, oh, this actually gels perfectly with the word of God. The God's the one who actually created and designed this and all of it. So, so this, is the, uh, this is the research that Abigail Marsh discovered in studying kidney donors. I, I think these things will actually help us tremendously in growing as people who are not consumers but contributors. The first is that contributors are selfless. You go, well, that, that one's kind of obvious. But these kidney donors were, more than selfless, humble would, would, be, would be the right word. Humble. In other words, they didn't see anything special about themselves. These thousands of people, they didn't see there's anything special about us. That I don't think I'm unusually compassionate, they would say. I don't think I'm extraordinarily generous. I don't think there's anything unique about me. I just think I was probably in the right place at the right time and I was willing to help. 
I think those of us who haven't donated a kidney go, no, we disagree. Like, you are extraordinary. Your compassion and care and selflessness is remarkable. As someone who's never given a kidney to a complete stranger, (laughs) you are worthy of some praise. They were selfless. Well, of course, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we looked at these verses just last Sunday, by the way. Or maybe it was the week before. Yeah, it was the last time I preached. Um, Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes this Christ follower mindset, saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, he says, but each of you to the interests of others. And so... We ask the Lord to use us to be a blessing in the life of another. With eyes fixed on Jesus, he says, we're not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We think about how can we contribute to kingdom work and focus on others. So that's the first characteristic that, uh, that we found studying kidney donors, selfless. They were humble. The second is that they stood out. There was something different about them. Now, it actually happened to be something physiological. Uh, of course, extensive... Uh, tests were run on these subject matters, analyses performed, and they found that their brains were actually different from uh, the rest of us, from, from, nor- from normal uh, biological design. <laughs> uh, the amygdala, particularly. Th- this is uh, part of the brain that's essential for our ability to sort of feel certain emotions and, and perceive those emotions in other people. It was 8% larger in this group of kidney donors, 8% larger. Now, to the best of my knowledge, there's nothing we can do to increase the size of our amygdala. <laughs> uh, that's just God designed us that way. But this stood out to me, this struck me, that when they studied these people, they said, oh, there's something noticeable, observable, factual, there's something different about these people. It's the same way with followers of Jesus. It's the same way when we're contributors. Like, there are observable differences. There's something about us that makes us different and set apart. It makes us stand out. In fact, uh, Acts chapter 1, when Jesus sends his, his followers out, he reminds them that the Holy Spirit is with them and will give them power. In all the places that, that we go, we are witnesses who carry the good news of Jesus. We're different. We're not of this world. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lord, God Most High. We stand out. There's one last trait that, uh, that stood out in this uh, kidney donor study. They were steady. This is the words of uh, Professor Marsh. They were steady. Uh, she described this steadiness as sort of um, these individuals who um, who ultimately, who, who chose to give a kidney to bless a complete and total stranger, uh, didn't happen as one singular act in their life amidst, like as an isolated incident. This, this didn't happen as one sort of outlier in a life that was lived differently. She, she called them steady, meaning like they were steadily growing through lots of, I guess you could say, smaller acts of selflessness, care, generosity, compassion. This was not an isolated incident. So um, it was often the case, by the way, like that these individuals who, who did this heroic action were blood donors. 
high percentage. They were like, these were the kind of people who, or marrow donors, like people who would say, okay, I'm willing to contribute. Not, not to the uh, escalated point of kidney, but earlier on in their lives, they were people who were, who were giving. In fact, there's another one that was, they were people who, uh, many of whom, higher percentage had provided foster care for children. Uh, what, what stands out to me there is simply this, that these were people who were steadily growing. Again, those are her words, is steady. These people were steady. They were steadily growing in their capacity to serve others and look out for the interests of others and live beyond themselves and be a contributor, not a consumer. They did these sort of baby steps of acts of kindness all along the way until they reached this point of donating a kidney. And so maybe for us today, we're sitting here and we're like, well, I don't know how I can invite a friend to church. Maybe the smaller act is to begin praying for that friend's salvation. See what I'm saying there? Be steady. You take the smaller step before you take the bigger step, oftentimes. How could I offer to pray for that coworker and the issue that they're dealing with? Well, pray silently first. Maybe you could work up the courage to say, hey, I prayed for you, before you say, can I pray with you? How do you offer that star crunch to the student at your lunch table that we talked about? Well, maybe it begins with acknowledging that student in the hallway when you pass them and saying, hey, good morning. See, we're steady by following Jesus and growing and allowing him by his Holy Spirit in all the places we go to use us as witnesses. So you go out in the morning with this notion of God is sending me, and I just want to be faithful. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Reap a harvest. The benefits and the rewards. Again, that's a consumeristic mindset if we say, I want to follow Jesus because I want heaven. I want to follow Jesus because all the good things that happen for me. But the truth of God's word is that we who are desperate for God and who stand in great need of him, when we call out to him and we say, God, you can take my meager efforts and abilities and use them for your kingdom purposes. He then richly rewards and blesses us beyond what we could ask or imagine. That's who God wants us to be. Contributors. He invites us not to just follow along and tag along. Come and follow me, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 19. And I will send you out to fish for people. The same call for those disciples is the same call for you and it's the same call for me. That we will be sent out. The mission is fishing. Here's what he told the woman at the well, verses 13 and 14. Oh, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What would happen in our community and in our region if we were like this woman at the well who just ran to share with others the good news of Jesus, to invite them, come and see, could he be the Messiah? So are you willing to make that shift? From a consumer to a contributor. Let's not be spiritual consumers. What's in it for me? How's this going to benefit me? But spiritual contributors. Realizing the church doesn't exist for us. 
We are the church. And we exist for the world that God has sent us to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. Let's pray together. Oh, good and gracious God, we thank you for who you are. That in your goodness and in your grace, you saw us in our need and desperation and you sent the rescuer, your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we know what the truth of your word says, that you save us, you redeem us, you call us into eternity with you. And for the short and brief time that you've got us on earth, Lord, you want to use us to make an impact. And so you say, if we want to follow you, you're going to send us out. You're going to bring in even more. Go to the highways and the byways. Bring in the crippled and the blind and the lame and those desperate, the poor in spirit. And so, God, I would pray today that you would help us to not be consumers, but to be contributors by your Holy Spirit that empowers us to go into those places that you send us on mission for you. Church family, I want you to know that our prayer team is going to be available here in just a few moments after we close the service. If you want to come and lay down a burden or surrender your life or make this shift and say, God, I want to be a contributor, come and meet with us here. We'd be just honored to pray with you and to go before God's throne of grace to bear one another's burdens. And so, Lord, we look to you, King Jesus, Lord and ruler of our life, author and perfecter of our faith. We pray these things only in your name and for your glory. Amen.